Welcome everybody to another episode of Am I Trippin'? Man, it's like 11.32, man. 11 o'clock. And they just made the announcement and shit. They on bubble on burst, man. Shit over with. Uh, the shooting of Jacob Blake and, uh, Wisconsin, man, uh, that reunited the feelings that those young brothers had before they even took off the one down there, you know. Like George Hill said, I kind of sensed it last night when I heard the young brother say what he said as far as, uh, man, we shouldn't even brought our ass down there anyway, you know. And for everybody, you know, got their own opinions about Kyrie or whatever, you know, you might not like the messenger, but his message was just this. You know, and George here was one of those guys that was locked locked at the hip with Kyrie on those same exact feelings. So uh, when they went on ahead and uh, called the game earlier today, I was happened to be riding, uh, riding and shit coming on in, and uh, I was just in my own thoughts. And I was just like, shit, man, I, I already pretty much seen that. That's, that's the George Hill move there. But then I had to think, think about it a little deeper. But now, I had first heard that Toronto and um, uh, was going to do it first and shit. And that's Messiah Missouri uh, because of the shit that he went through, you know, last year with the police and shit. And then when this went down, so I believe, it, you know, that Toronto and Boston was going to do it tomorrow during the Thursday game regardless. And I just think that Milwaukee was just like, shit, if they going to do it for sure, why why wouldn't the team that's from Wisconsin, why wouldn't we do it? And I just think they just jumped right on in on it and just said, you know, fuck it, man. We done with this shit, man. We, you know, didn't really feel that damn great coming down here fucking with this shit anyway. And now we don't got down here and, you know, you motherfuckers ain't did nothing but, you know, continue the same old trifling ass, you know what I'm saying, habits. And, you know, keeping us, you know, up on the scope. You still got us under the scope. You still, you know, shooting us and shit. I mean, dude, you had five motherfucking police uh, officers that was out there, man. Five police officers and he still end up getting shot seven times, man. And you had to see his kids in the car, man. If you didn't see the kids in the car or didn't hear the car, uh, kids in that car, then you was doing a, a horrible job of observing the, the scene anyway. So, I mean, this shit, man, is just, this shit is just getting more boguser and boguser and boguser, man. And I'm glad, man. You know, I love the NBA young niggas, man. I do, man. You know, and when I say, you know, young niggas, I ain't trying to be, you know, racist or nothing like that because I look at Dante Divincenco and, you know, Culver and some of those guys, man, they've been around uh, them young boys, them young brothers for so long. They don't been in locker rooms with Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and watch their kids grow up and their kids don't watch their kids grow up. Them, they, don't been to, they don't been the white boy at the all-black barbecue. And all that old good shit, man. So, 
they they just they point of view about us and how they view us is you know what I'm saying the same way that they would view their brothers or a family member and shit like that man. So when I be like you know the young niggas, I'm like I'm I'm grouping everybody in the same boat, you know, not to be disrespectful or nothing to nobody, you know. But I just feel like they I just love them man. I just love the way that they really you know they all locked in man. They all locked in, white and black, man. I love this shit, man, because they can't separate it. I mean, there's no separation. There's no gap for a separation. And I don't know now, man, what these owners going to do, man. Because here go the killer part. They walked away from this season. The year, by the end of the year, you was talking about starting up another season. So, so far, between the coronavirus and guys not playing, these owners don't lost a lot of money. How long they, how much more money they going to lose? I understand that they got other, you know, uh, business ventures and everything that, you know, probably generate as much, if not, you know, uh, a nice portion of the uh, money that they have. But they didn't buy no sports team for nothing. You know, so you can't tell me eventually not getting that, you know, that that uh money coming in, uh, selling out those stadiums and them luxury box seats and those floor seats on the floor and the concessions and the parking and the jerseys and all that. You ain't going to tell me that somebody ain't going to miss that shit eventually. You know, it's kind of hard for you to tell me if this is going to be it. You know, where there's not going to be something that somebody going to look up and say, like, man, this shit got to stop. This shit really fucking up the money, man. This trillions. This 32 teams, man, and damn near every last one of them worth, goddamn it, probably a billion plus, man. And then that ain't counting all the money that they bring in. So, I mean, shit, I... I would believe there's maybe some trillions on the line, but it's, you know, damn so triple-digit billion-dollar uh, game going on right now. There's a lot of money for all for all owners. All owners are suffering from this, from the high, from the, the, the richest owner and bomber all the way down to, the, you know, maybe some of the small, smaller market teams that, you know, Michael Jordan, somebody like that. No, Mike got long paper too, but I'm just saying, this shit going to even affect Mike too. This shit, I mean, I love these young guys, man, because they saying, man, what it is is like, dude, we it's not that we don't want to play, but, man, how long do you think we're going to just keep on goddamn being jigaboos up here? You know how long you think we're gonna just keep on black facing with the white uh with the white lips and shit. You know, cooning and all that old shit for y'all, you know what I'm saying? Y'all entertainment. You know, and then you still talk about us like a dog. You know what I'm saying? And then at the grand scheme of what you feel about our lives is still the same value which you had about it, you know what I'm saying, a hundred years ago. 1920, man, this shit was just as fire. 1920, this shit was just as fire. Shit, the motherfucking Texas riots and shit jumped off in motherfucking uh, 1917. If anybody get a chance, they got a new movie uh, called The 24th, man. 
Watch that movie, man. Watch that movie, man. See what those black soldiers were going through, man, and how, you know what I'm saying, a soldier named William Boston, man, and some other guy, soldiers, man, just had enough of this shit, man. They went that Turner on their motherfucking ass. But anyway, man, the bubble was nice. It was competitive. It really was. It was competitive, man. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's still, you know, I'm an ex-AAU basketball coach, so I'm used to being in them small gyms and those gyms, you know what I'm saying, where, you know, one portion of the, you know, court, you got a game over here and then you got another game over on the other side and all that old shit. You can tell they kind of had that kind of like junior feel about it or whatever. But the competition was legit, man. And I'm going to tell you something, man. There were some motherfuckers that was going off in this bubble during the playoff skid, man. I, uh, I got uh, I don't know if you guys uh, heard the last part I put out, uh, the bubble, where I had mentioned a couple of guys that were like breakouts. Well, I'm talking about your usual suspects now. And I'm telling you something, man. It wasn't nobody that put in more work in these goddamn bubble and these motherfucking little, what, five or six games like Donovan motherfucking Mitchell. All this young motherfucker was putting in work. He was putting in some, I mean, some hella fire work. Dude, they, I mean, they was just going into game six. Yeah, they're going into game six now. So in five games... Two of those five games, dude, that bust 50. And another one, he had a hell of a 30-piece. And shit, I think the other one, he even had a 40-piece. I mean, the, the kids is goddamn, I mean, video game numbers out here in this bitch, man. I mean, he out here motherfucking having his way. Lord have mercy, this kid having his way. Well, his defense ain't shit. So he giving damn near 40 to the motherfucker that he checking, and that's the boy Jamal Murray for Denver. He killing him. Both these young motherfuckers, he got a 50-piece. He got a 40 and a big-time 30-something piece. I mean, he, these, man, these young motherfuckers, man, at, at one time, man, it looked like these young motherfuckers were playing one-on-one -on -one with just four motherfuckers running around with them. I mean, it was just just like that, man, where he take the ball out the net, boom, Donovan scored. Uh, Murray take the ball out, bam, he scored. Then bam, Donovan, then bam, Murray, then bam. I mean, like, this shit was like this for them, like 10 shots in a row, man. These motherfuckers was, like, super fucking crazy hot, man. They was fucking balling their ass off, man. They were, man. They were balling their ass off. And then I'm going to tell you another motherfucker that's been, goddamn it, you know, quiet but steady the whole trip. And that's that goddamn Kawhi Leonard, man. I know dude averaging 35 a game in this bitch. And it's just so quiet and steady. Dude is so quiet and steady. But I will say this. I'm kind of looking at him as, you know, I've always considered him the second best player because I figured that I've always considered him a ball player that was elite on both sides of the court. He ain't elite no more on the defense. Not no more. The young boy, Luka Doncic. Oh, my Lord. You talking about a motherfucker that's been in the bubble, goddammit, just 
putting motherfuckers on notice, man. I'm on notice, man. I truly believe whenever LeBron walks away from this game in another two or three years, man, at the max or however he chooses to go about it, the next coldest motherfucker in this league going to be Luka Doncic, man. I'm colder than KD, colder than Kawhi, colder than Steph, colder than whoever you want to put comparing to, man. Dude going to be colder than all of them, man. I'm telling you. He going to be colder than all of these cats, man. This motherfucker is 21 years old, man, and he averaged 30, 10, and 10 in the bubble, man, during the playoffs, man. Literally. Shit, motherfucker, he did, man. Let me tell you something, man. I grew up, man, in the, watching the basketball in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? The 90s. 2000s and everything, man. Anybody on heard some of my other podcasts? I've already explained the very first time I cried about watching the college basketball game. It's 1982 when that motherfucker Michael Jordan hit that shot on the goddamn Hoyas. Patrick Ewan's rookie C, I mean, a freshman season. Georgetown had that game. Man. Oh, man. This shit was just crazy, man. So. Literally, when I say I've really been entrenched in this shit for that long, I mean, I'm serious about this shit, man. And this Donchish kid, man, he's some shit, man. He's some shit, man. And I know we we don't see, you know, Larry Bird. I, I watched Bird. Bird, bad motherfucker. Bird wasn't dude, though. Bird wasn't dude. I'm just saying, man. I mean... The way dude handles the ball at the point guard position. Bird plays small forward and power forward majority of the time. And Larry was the baddest man on the block for it, man. I think Larry Bird uh, ripped off a, a three MVPs in a row or some shit like that, man, in the 80s, man. You know, he definitely stamped this motherfucker. His, his claim, man, you know, could nobody see him. I, I truly agree with that. But he wasn't this kid Doncic, man. He ain't, he wasn't. He wasn't. I say, okay, I say Larry might have, you know, shot the ball a little bit better than him. And I think Larry was a better overall defender because back in those days, you cared about your defense. The pride level of defending your man meant something in those days where that shit means nothing nowadays. There's no pride, it seems like when it comes to watching the NBA basketball nowadays where you definitely sense the pride uh, in playing defense back in those days. So I got to give it to Larry on, you know, as a better shooter and, and and a better defender. But, man, when it comes down to being able to run a team, Larry couldn't run his team. That was Dennis Johnson that ran the team. You know what I'm saying? That was Tiny Archibald that ran the team. That was Danny Ains. Rick Carlisle got some of it in there. Phil, Phil Ford. Uh, shit. Uh, Quinn Buckner. You know, it was a lot of different motherfucking Celtics that, you know, took took the ball and handled the ball. You know what I'm saying? So Bird didn't have to do that. Well, this Dodgers kid does all of that. And... He's really the team's best reliable scorer. So not only do is he setting up the table, but he giving you the same amount of points that Bird would give you. 
a 30 piece. He giving you that. But Bird ain't wasn't responsible for getting those 10 assists. And he'd give you just as many rebounds as Larry Bird was. Larry Bird was always a good rebounder to his back went out. But if you look at his numbers, Bird's numbers was always steady. 9, 10, you know what I'm saying, when it came to the rebound category and everything. That's, this kid got the same numbers right now. And what to me separates him over Bird, Bird hit the NBA, I think, at 23. I think when he hit, uh, came out of Indiana State. This kid 21. This kid 21. He 21. And I'm telling you something, man. This Dodgers kid, man, I, he he truly impressed me the whole, this whole motherfucking uh, bubble, man. I was impressed with him. I'm impressed by the, uh, the growth of Pascal Siakam. And that Toronto team, I, man, <laughs> I believe Milwaukee was in trouble, man. I believe Milwaukee was in trouble, man. Pascal, man, he is so much better, man. He, he Dude, I've literally gotten better over the last three years. Anybody's been watching the NBA consistently and been watching him play, he has gotten better every single year for the last three years. This kid is an elite ball player that does that isn't getting that same type of you know that same type of hype or whatever. But you tell me what small forward or power forward that's really playing that much better than him. I'm gonna I'll give you AD and Giannis if you want to play that. Your AD and Giannis. All right, now go from there. Go from there. Who? Oh, this kid, man, is the truth, man. This kid is the goddamn truth, man. You know, so uh, I, that Toronto team as a whole, man, that's a defensive-minded team. They quick, they're aggressive. I think they had some from Milwaukee's ass. Uh, Greeky Freaky uh, just won the uh, MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year. So, shouts out to Giannis. You know, for having a great season. I thought LeBron, before the uh, the first original shutdown in March, I thought that if LeBron would have got through March going into uh, April, as hot as he was at the time, I think he would could have maybe edged old Greeky. But Giannis had been so consistent all year, man, and uh, there wasn't no doubt about it. You know, Giannis deserved it. So uh, Greeky... Uh, Took the, took home that title and uh, he looked good in the bubble. Giannis looked good in the bubble the whole time. He really did. I'm tell you another motherfucker that was Ging up in the bubble. Chris Paul. Chris Paul is such a motherfucking G man. I'm telling you, dude, it's such a motherfucking G man. You know, uh, a, a true throwback to your old league guards. Chris Paul is what you consider a league guard. You know, you got some of these other guards out here, you know, very good guards or scoring guards. Chris Paul's a lead guard. He, he leads your team. And your team thrives off of his leadership. And him and Dennis Schroeder and Young Shea gives, uh, uh, Young Shea, man, I can't think of the kid's la uh, last part of his name right offhand, man, but, uh, 
Those young, young motherfuckers up in Oklahoma, man, with that three-guard lineup, man, they was balling. They were balling, man, and having Gallinari and Steven Adams, man. Believe it or not, they they put together a, a group, man, that really looked good. They was in a damn good battle with Houston, man. They were in a damn good battle with Houston, man. And uh, Chris Paul's leadership throughout that series was just grand, man. And plus everything he did through the bubble the whole time. And then it was plenty of times where they would show you him sitting over there coaching uh, Dennis Schroeder with the blackboard and everything. And he was like, you can see where everybody just truly listening to what he's saying, man. And they, they you know, they look at, they listening. They, they even talking to him like they talking to somebody that's teaching them something. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the respect he got. And Shake was doing it the same way. And, I mean, that's his team, man. And, uh, just so glad to see that we still got strong leadership in the league, man, at that at that position, at the point guard position where to me it should always be. I would always want my 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 leader to be my point guard. You know what I'm saying? If he ain't my my best scorer, I want my leader to be my point guard. Uh I'ma tell you that motherfucker, man. And 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 he dig this, man. This is gonna fuck people up because uh, People that know me know I'm kind of, you know, not in love with dude. But, man, this motherfucker James Harden, man. This motherfucker James Harden a bad motherfucker, man. And I've had to change my opinion about James, man, over the last, right before this season uh, was halted. And all this time in the bubble, man, since he's been in this bubble, man, dude been ding his ass off. Dude been ding his ass off, man. And don't get me wrong, it's still some times where he get caught, you know what I'm saying, lightweight, being lazy or whatever and shit because it still ain't his forte. But, man, his effort is, is truly t- turned up, man. And I can see dude now giving himself a chance to win a championship, man, because I can see where in a, in a crunch time in the fourth quarter, he can, you know, make a steal or get in the passing lane and do something besides thinking that he got to score from three or, you know, throw a crazy-ass shot up at the rim and hoping that the referees bail him out. I mean, I was really impressed with James Harden's defense way more than I was impressed with. I think he was averaging damn near like 35 to 38 a game. He's still killing him. He killing him. Uh, but his floor game, man, the way he was setting up that team, man. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I don't know what the Houston Rockets going to do, man, because with the bubble, you know what I'm saying, count ending like this, this is kind of bad for them because they don't really know what the fuck they wanted to do with D'Antoni. You know, beginning of the season, D'Antoni had to win. That was the that was his ultimatum. You know, you gotta win with this motherfucking high ass team guy. And another shout out to Jay, uh, Russell Westbrook before Russ, uh, Russell's leg got uh, groin got fucked up. Russell was killing the bubble too. And uh, I, at first, I didn't believe that that small ball shit could work. I still don't think it worked. But man, the reason is why I initially said that I didn't think it would work is because Russell Westbrook and James Harden were two turnover prone guards. Well, those guys did not do that, and I didn't think that Harden would play any defense, and he definitely started doing that. So 
my opinion about that Rockets team during the bubble slowly but surely started to change to where I could see where they still maybe have a puncher's chance where I went from y'all ain't even y'all don't have a chance at all. But here go where the bullshit is in the game that now with them counseling the bubble, what do you what's your call on uh Dan and Tony? Because it's it's reported that dude he's not going back out there for another year contract. And the motherfucking Pacers did some 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 shit out the blue today. They fired Nate McMillan, and I don't know how they could even muster up the motherfucking nuts to fire Nate, but they fired Nate today. And all I keep on hearing motherfuckers uh, uh, saying on the internet, you know what I'm saying, in, in the Twitter world, is that they they looking at getting Dan Tony. <laughs> so Dan Tony's not coming back to Houston. You know what I'm saying? As much as he loved James and, and Russell and everything, he's not coming back for another uh, uh, coach under another year contract. He damn sure is not going to do that when, goddamn it, you best believe Indiana about to throw a boatload of money at him to let him, goddamn it, come and run and gun down there in Indiana. So, man, Houston in a tight spot, man. Houston definitely in a tight spot. And the Pacers didn't look bad, man. I like this shit, man. The Pacers got a nice three-man uh, uh, connection, man. If they able to figure out what they're going to do with Victor Oladipo, I think they're going to probably end up letting Vic go, though. It don't. It sound like it's a you know a lot of uh, a lot of motherfucking hype on keeping Vic and shit. Vic stay broke up. As much as people like Victor uh, Oladipo, he stay broke up. He stays broke up. He's got to be one of the most brutalist guys in the league, man. Dude, stay broke up all the goddamn time. So it's hard to evaluate. Is he an elite motherfucker or is he a, just a real good talent that can't stay on the court? You know, so, I mean, I, I'm i thinking that the uh, pressure's going to get rid of Vic. But if they keep Vic, man, between him, uh, Brogdon and motherfucking that boy, uh, 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 TJ Warren, shit, they got them a nice goddamn a good collection of some good shit. And uh, they found the boy Jamal Sampson, so you they going to get rid of Miles Turner. So Miles going to be out there and said, if... If Houston was going to, goddamn it, you know, keep Dan Tony, if I'm Houston, I bring in Miles Turner so I don't make PJ have to play the motherfucking, goddamn it, uh, the center, and Miles shoot the three enough, just like, goddamn it, Dan Tonio wanted, where Dan Tonio won't feel like he had to take him out. So then now you can actually play with a big man. So I can see, goddamn it, Miles Turner, goddamn it, if D'Antonio stay in Houston, making a move from goddamn it, Indiana to Houston, cause I don't see Indiana keeping him. They 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 love Sabonis. So that's some of the shit I said. Uh, what else was pretty good in the bubble that was jumping off? All the social uh, cost, uh social uh, issues, man, that were brought up. And it was displayed, man, and a lot of strong conversation inside the bubble, man, from uh, a lot of ball players, man. Uh, the guys really did. They went down there to try to do their job, man, as far as keeping awareness going and everything. And out of silver, man, I just, 
I really feel bad from Otto, man, because he's a damn good commissioner, man, and he gonna be put in a tight-ass spot now, man, because these owners, man, the money about to change in the league, man, and it's about to change at the wrong time. And I'm gonna tell you why. It's because you had already started those other other leagues to bring in the high school kids at the little junior league uh, uh, level and shit. You know what I'm saying? And then you're also telling uh, high school kids here in this, uh, in two years that they can come straight out of high school into the league. So, you know, between having that and the money that you know, you're not going to be able to generate, you know what I'm saying? Just like all the work that Adam did to get this shit to where it would be a beautiful motherfucking thing if it was done right and everything was, you know, the way it was supposed to be. It's all look like shit now, man. Them owners is going to take them boys back to the table. The motherfucking split on the money going to be different. It's going to cause a lot of motherfucking uh, mar marginal ball players. They're going to end up getting the boot. You're going to probably end up losing a lot more vets because you're going to probably lose that veteran minimal. Uh, you know, they're going to probably damn so yank that. You know, and it's just going to be just, you're going to lose. It's going to be some jobs lost, man. It's going to be some jobs lost and some some guys that, you know, maybe still have some halfway decent runs still in them left, man. And uh, it's going to be just hard for my friend, you know, owners to justify, you know, even fucking with it. And I don't think Adam Silver ever wanted that. I don't think Michelle Roberts wanted that. I don't think Chris Paul ever wanted that. And they... They did they best, man, in creating that bubble, man. Them boys was in that bubble, man. And I didn't think they could do it, man. I was on record saying that them young niggas was not about to go to jail to play basketball. And that's what they did. They pretty much put themselves in a jailhouse environment, I mean, setting to a certain degree. I'll be a club fed. Now, it wasn't the county jail and no shit like that. Club fed like mode. But it was still away from people, man, and you know, where you was more or less isolated to your room. It was killing your boy, Paul George. He even spoke up about it, you know? So it was kind of deep, man. I mean, overall, man, the bubble was a damn good thing, man. And I was, I'm glad that the guys tried, tried it, man. But just keep the, just, just keeping this shit real, man. Jacob Black, Blake shouldn't have got shot in his back, man, in front of his kids, man. And for as much shit that was going on, man, and then uh, Monday night, they got a white boy running around, young white boy running around with AK, I mean, uh, R, uh, AR and shit. He's shooting motherfuckers. He killed two people in the middle of the street and run right up on the goddamn place and run right through them. Do you think they took this man to jail? They didn't even take the man to jail that night. They came and got him the next day. They arrested him on a Wednesday. So, I mean, the shit happened, I believe, it must have been Tuesday night, early Monday morning in, in Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm just scared to see how this shit turning out, man, because... I think what people fail to realize is these young niggas got money now. These youngsters got millions of dollars now. 
if they want to, man, they can go buy as just as many guns as these old, you know, think they rich white folks. You know what I'm saying? And uh, if they these white folks can get access, if, if like this is the average white man who might be worth maybe three, four hundred thousand to a half a million. If he can goddamn you know, afford a, a gun collection, what you think one of these young motherfucking young niggas who ain't already been paid who got a meal ticket? A meal ticket and ain't got no businesses started or nothing like that, but got money, got time, and they slowly building up anger. But you don't think that them youngsters ain't going to be able to get money? And one thing about the motherfuckers who sell guns, they don't give a fuck who they sell them to. White, black, whoever. Whoever. The gun makers do not give a fuck. They'll let you let you go ahead and believe that, the, you know, they give a fuck and they got guards and uh, different ways uh how they uh, so-called screen motherfuckers, whatever. You, you buy those tickets if you want to. Motherfucker got enough money. He'll come in there and drop down enough money and walk out with whatever the fuck he want. You can believe that. That shit ain't never changed. And it ain't gonna never change. And what's becoming scary about this shit is slowly but surely you're almost forcing motherfuckers to act, to go out and have more, you know, access to guns, man. I remember 20 years ago when they, the, the churches and everything were having gun buybacks where they were literally giving people $50, $50, $70 or some shit like that for you to just to turn your guns in. And it was a lot of black people that turned their guns in, man, because they believed in we needed to try a form of stopping gun violence. Now, how many of those people that did that wouldn't mind having those guns back right now with the way that this shit going? And just ask yourself as a as a black man or a woman, how comfortable are you getting stopped by the police for a traffic stop? Is your life on, on the line? Will you be able to make it home? Will you be able to make it to work tomorrow? See this shit got that's 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 this what it, this shit getting scary, y'all. And I don't want it to get no more scarier than this. Let's please go out and vote and figure out, man, uh who we need to get in these positions, man, that's gonna keep this motherfucking this uh volcano for from erupting. Because this volcano is starting to bubble, man. You can see the shit starting to bubble down the motherfucking down, running straight on down. It's running straight on down, man. And you know these police officers keep on acting like they want to feed into it. It's like they're begging for a race riot, <clears throat> and it's not even a race riot because. You got just as many like this when they sold the, the riots and shit down there in Wisconsin. It was just what you imagine. Uh, Wisconsin, damn near all white man. Those were damn near all white kids that was doing that shit. But don't get me wrong, the motherfucker that did the murder, he found two black motherfuckers, two black people to kill. 
but the bulk of the motherfuckers that was running around breaking up shit and, and destroying shit were these white cats and these white kids. Let me tell you something. If you don't think that Al-Qaeda and ISIS, if you, if you think Al-Qaeda and ISIS can transform these young suburban white kids into terrorists, you don't think that rap music, black athletes, star athletes, can't turn these same young white kids into activists? And if you don't think that, you tripping. And if it becomes a war, those would be the same allies that's lining up with these young blacks, young black kids nowadays that's a lot more, a lot more open to seeing shit go all the way through. They ain't went through the process of getting their heads split and keep on walking and singing, we gonna overcome and all that. Nah. These look like these youngsters nowadays would be the ones where you have to kill about 40 or 50 of them in a row. Women, too. These youngsters, man, is about this, about this drama, man. These young motherfuckers is really about this drama, man. They really are. And the more and more you keep on presenting them reasons that be, you know what I'm saying, in a drama-filled motherfucker mode, in a drama-filled uh, mind state about the police, about the government in general, we fucking around slowly but surely. We're starting to turn against our own country. Man, we've had Republican presidents before since I've been alive. Don't get me wrong. Ain't nobody, wasn't nobody in love with Reagan. Was nobody in love with Big Bush or or the baby Bush that came after him. But this Trump shit different, man. This, this Trump shit totally different, man. And he's arrogant, he's ignorant, man, and he open with it. And the motherfuckers that ride with him are doing the same thing. But they doing that this time in front of motherfuckers who ain't as passive. Who 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 have more. These young motherfuckers got money. And a lot of these young motherfuckers who got family members who got money. And then a lot of these young motherfucking uh, millionaire uh, athletes. If they got them and wanted to, they can start funding some of these young groups, man. If they wanted to fund a Black Panthers group or some shit like that and arm them. They could do that now. They got the money to do that. I don't want to see this shit, man, because this shit, then we looking at shit like Russia, man. And I usually don't go there on, on my podcasts like this shit, man. But I just watched a damn good idea in the bubble actually come to come to an end because of a lot of shit that was being done outside the bubble. And it don't feel good to know that that's how it ended. And it's not going to feel good to watch these same young men start to protest. And now that's going to increase the nine times out of ten. The corona spike going to go right back up. Temperature's about to go down. And now that's going to increase more of that. 
And as black people, we're the ones that's catching, you know, dying of this shit more faster than anybody else. And we got them, we got it in our neighborhoods more common than anybody else. <clears throat> I just don't, I just don't like this shit, y'all. It just, it just don't, it seems like it's going, it's coming down to being some bullshit, man. And, you know, I just wish that we could have been able to, you know, finish out the season without Jacob Blake having to come up paralyzed with seven books dug out of his back and from his three boys. So uh, this podcast here, dedicated to Mr. Jacob Blake. Never met the man in my life. Didn't even know nothing about the man until a couple of days. But uh, God bless you, brother. I'm glad to see that you were still able to keep your life. God bless you and your boys and your family. And God bless your young brothers in the NBA, man, for being who you are. And uh, let's find a way, y'all. Let's find a way to be better towards each other. And if anybody listening to this podcast, they're police officers. Let's find a way to weed out these bad cops, man, so we can quit looking at you guys as the enemy, man, and start embracing you as the heroes that you really should be looked up as. And with that, I'm going to end this uh, podcast. God bless. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Am I Tripping? The bubble version. I'm so happy to say that. Uh... For anybody that's been listening to me for the last couple months, you know, I've been real quick to say I didn't think there was no sports that was coming back. They had me paranoid and scared. I ain't going to lie. But, man, it looks it feels so good for these young brothers to come back uh, and play ball and be so committed to their craft, man. What I don't think a lot of people is peeping, man, is these young cats are millionaires. These these young cats were million with a millionaire's ticket, man. They got a real live meal ticket running around, man. And uh, for them to, you know, to put all that shit to the side, to be uh, professional and come out and finish the season uh, the way they've been playing. I mean, I'm quite sure some people probably don't really want to be there or whatever and shit. But you can't tell by the effort that everybody's been giving, man. I mean, I'm seeing some real, I've seen some good shit in the bubble so far, man. And I we're going to talk about some of the things I've seen in the bubble, man. But just in general, man, I am so glad that I, uh, Adam uh, Silver and uh, Michelle Roberts, Chris Paul, and, and everybody got together, man, and got this shit back on the road for us, man. We needed it. We needed it so bad. Now we got it. Now, I've been hearing some crazy talk where they was talking about, well, the ratings ain't the same, the ratings ain't the same. Well, guess what? The ratings wasn't going to be the same. And anybody that's tripping off of that, y'all, you just low-key sitting, trying to sit on basketball, period. Anybody knows that if you're playing basketball, you know what I'm saying, at the the end of May going into June, you got a better chance for people to sit at home and watch your product over the last four months of summer, the last four months of summer is August. They started this shit two weeks ago. I mean, I mean, three weeks ago or whatever. So, I mean, it was going to be like this. 
you know, it was going to be just like this, man. And I just don't understand why you don't understand that it is not hard to believe that guys don't want to sit in the house or ladies don't want to sit in the house and watch an NBA game in August, the last month of summer, you know, what you think? I mean, a lot of the NBA's popularity to me has always been formulated with the fact that people don't do as much in the months that the NBA starts. So you don't want I mean, you get the NBA is usually catching football right when it's, you know, midway, you know, uh, through this season. And then after the, the football season uh, usually concludes, especially college football season concludes, you see an uptick in, you know, what's going on in the NBA. And then from December, January, February, March, those are the four months. Those are your four key months in the NBA right there. Then you got April, you know, your baseball fans starting to get ready for the baseball season. You know what I'm saying? May, all the talk about the football, you know what I'm saying, and the drafts and all that shit kicking gear and everything. And then by June, basketball's finishing now, and it's leading you back into college football and to a lot of talks of the pro football game, plus baseball in full stride by now. So... That's been our always, that's been our regular order for our sports. So to think that the basketball uh, ratings are are down because people not, you know, really messing with basketball or <laughs> not feeling basketball, I think they, I think you're tripping with that. I just think that the fact that it's in the heart of the summer and it ain't never really been done like that. You ain't never really had guys really have to condition themselves in August to sit down and watch a game at night. So, like I said, the name of the podcast is Am I Tripping? So maybe you might think I'm tripping on that. But I just don't think that the viewership is down because of anything, anything more than the fact that it's the summer and the average Joe that's been keeping up with the NBA season or whatever is just not used to watching basketball in August. I mean, the diehards do. I mean, we do. But, I mean, it ain't saying that it's not I. It's still not saying that it ain't don't feel different. So, that's my little rant on that little shit. Now, uh, since the bubble been going down, I've seen... I seen five teams, man, that really, really, really bothered me, man. And I'm going to tell you why these five teams bothered me. Because their performance in the bubble, man, was almost lifeless. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you probably what everybody wasn't going to do like Phoenix did, just run straight through with eight no. So, I mean, I understand that, but... Just your effort, the effort that we see in being displayed by your your top-tier talented guys all the way down to your bench guys. A lot of times, the hungriest people you've seen, and some of the, especially on some of these teams we're about to talk about, some of the hungriest guys were the guys from the G League, man. Guys, those were the guys that you've seen, like, man, really was out there like, shit, I'm starving. I'm trying to, goddamn, you know, make, make this the way that I, I'm able to eat. And then you had a lot of guys that just was like, 
shit, man, I'm already eating. Fuck it. I'm just here, like my man Marshawn say, I'm just here to collect it. I'm just here so I don't get fine, boss. So it was one of those old type of moments and shit. But anyway, the first team was Philly. Now, I, I think Philly pretty much fucked this up when they brought back Brett Brown this year. I think they pretty much fucked it up there. But then you get rid of T.J. McConnell, you get rid of J.J. Reddick, and you get rid of Jimmy. If you was going to do all of that, to me, if I'm thinking back as a coach, if I'm in that position that Brett Brown is, I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting rid of a playmaker, my shooter, and my motherfucking heart and soul of my team. What's, what will, what will our identity be? What will our identity be if we losing our best shooters, our backup playmaker, and our motherfucking, you know what I'm saying, alpha dog in Jimmy Butler? So I just felt like if you were able to, were going to make all those moves, I just didn't think that you could bring Brett Brown back. I think once you, when you had committed to making those moves, to me it's, it was time for a different vision for that team. Well, they came back pretty much with the same vision, just believing that, you know, we got guys that have been historically known for being good defenders. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Josh Richardson from the heat. <clears throat> we're going to blend him in with Al Horford and a couple other uh, parts, and we're just going to become a better defensive team. If they stick to that, if that's their identity, I believe Philly's one of the best teams in the East, if not the beast in the East. But they never stuck to that identity. I've never really seen that identity fully, you know, bloom into this is what we are. And right now, man, when you're looking at this Philly team, it's sad, man, for as much talent as they got, even without being, because right now they're playing in the bubble without being, but even without being, man, it still, it still should be a lot more. It it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this at all, man. Where you pretty much looking at this, at at the Sixers as, y'all just been a big waste all year. Why had the Sixers been a big waste all year? And for as much you know, uh, every for as much uh hate that uh Brett Brown gonna catch and a lot of you know what I'm saying you know get him the fuck up out of town, talk that he going to catch. I got to look at my fucking Elton Brand. Got to look at Elton Brand. And I'm going to tell you the morning, the main reasons why I got to look at Elton Brand. This is because you got rid of Javel, uh, uh, Okafor. You got rid of Michael Carter-Williams. You got rid of the boy Markel Folks. Any of those three guys right now could have kept you from having to overspend for Al. Overspend. Uh, one of those two guys could have, you know, helped you offset the fact that Ben Simmons is not a good shooter. If anybody been paying attention, the boy Markel Folks been having. He he, he showed everybody that he, he was able to, you know, shake the yips last year. This year, the kid been solid all year. And he got that real big body and shit, and he's a natural league guard. And he's not afraid to shoot. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Him and Ben probably still would have been the worst shooting backcourt. But they would have been able to supplement that by their best defensive backcourt. Because, to me, by far, Ben, one of the top five guys in all the NBA in playing defense, Ben Simmons is, no doubt about that. You can play him one through five legitimately. Legitly play him one through five. And when he's playing on the motherfucking point guards, you don't see guards running the ball right down the, down Philly's throat, you know, with the ball at the front coming from the top. They they ain't getting dominated by point guards. Right now they're getting dominated by point guards. Point guards are facing them. And I believe truly that's a you know a thing of missing Ben. And another thing, the Markel Folks kid, he competes. I've seen this kid, man. This kid literally competes, man. He competing his ass off right now against the Milwaukee Bucks. And if you look at that Miami, uh, I mean, Orlando Magic's team, it ain't nothing special about that team, period. But I will say that for everybody that, you know, threw their Markel Folks tickets away too soon, I think you might want to go find that motherfucker because dude look like he going to be all right. And if you asking me right now, I'm taking him over Alonzo Ball right now. Right now, Alonzo looked at so bad in the bubble. That's another team that we're going to talk about. My second team that was super foul in the bubble was the Pelicans. Man, they looked at foul in the bubble. And they got J.J. Redick, and he was balling. Dude was balling in the bubble. He gave he. He did for them what they brought him down there to do. Knock down shots. Dude was knocking down shots, able to stretch the defense, allowing those youngsters a lot more space to be creative and get their shots off, especially Brandon Ingram. That team has no commitment to nothing, though, besides just running and gunning. That's the only thing you see that they truly committed to do. The thing that they're going to do every single time, everybody seems like they come on the court. They're looking to run and gun. That team is, I mean, I like Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry been over there fucking with Dan Tony too much, too long, though. He was fucking with Dan Tony when Dan Tony had that first good Phoenix team. <laughs> Alvin Gentry was on the bench. And, you know, for a lot, I mean, Alvin Gentry's a good coach, man. I really don't want to, you know, sound like I'm about to start shitting on Alvin uh, on uh, AG, but he just he couldn't get the voice, man. He couldn't get these youngsters to to respond, man. Now, don't get me wrong. He don't make he don't make passes. He don't take shots, and he damn so don't defend. So those are the things that the players still have got to be responsible for, and I understand that. But Alvin, the fact that these guys, and these are young guys, man, you couldn't, you couldn't scare these youngsters into giving a better, a better effort than what they showed in the bubble. You got to remember, I think the only reason why they even went to this 22-team bubble shit like any and everybody else is to get Zion in. Well, they got Zion and the Pelicans in, and they didn't look like shit. They really didn't, man. They looked at like a young team that was too young to be on the court with the grown men. That's what they looked at like. 
And that, and to me, that's a indictment on, on on Alvin Gentry to a certain degree. I got to put that on him to a certain degree because we got to find out what our identity is and what is the identity of the Pelicans besides running and gunning. I mean, their best player right now, you know, as far as the numbers, is Brandon Ingram. And then they all made an all-star team this year. You can't tell him sitting there. And for as much as he want to have control of the ball, he don't make other team, he don't make nobody else really better with him having the ball. The ball should truly, <coughs> truly just stay in Drew Holiday's hand. And I truly believe that Drew Holiday should be the alpha male on that team. But he quiet. I don't know if a quiet guy can really be your, your best leader. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they can't. But it's been a it's few in between. Now, when we're talking about youngsters, young young kids, whatever, a quiet guy to a certain degree can be, you know, your pelican. You know what I mean? I mean, can be your Pendleton. To where, you know, everything lies, it, it rises and it falls by, you know, the his approach to the game. And his approach to the game brings everybody else's approach to the game to the same level that he has. Now, I know I fucked up on the word pendulum. Don't y'all fuck with me about that. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying to a certain degree. All right. So when I'm looking at this young team, this Pelicans team, when I'm looking at Brandon Ingram, who to me hasn't showed that he's been a, a leader nowhere that he's been. He wasn't even the leader in college on his Duke team. You know what I'm saying? And now he went to the Lakers. He, he wasn't no leader there. And now all of a sudden he thrust it into supposed to be the leadership role for the Pelicans. He's not ready for that role. That job is over his head right now. And I believe that because he showed the most talent, a lot of guys, you know what I'm saying, deferred to him as, okay, he's the most talented guy, so he should should be the leader. He should be this. Now he said, dude should continue to keep on fucking learning how to be a leader, how to learn how to win something. Because right now he looks like he ain't going to be nothing but a, 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 a motherfucking running gun all-star for whatever the fuck that's worth. And then when I look at Big Zion, I like Big Z. I like Big Z a lot, and I do think that he has a chance to be a different style of a future player that we're going to be looking at. Zion too motherfucking heavy, though, man. Dude, way too motherfucking heavy, man. He way too motherfucking heavy. And he's so young that his metabolism built at, a, at such a high, a high level, man, that... I'm pretty much believing whatever he, if he eat a piece of bread, it's going to end up in uh, on one of them sads or on his curves or something. <clears throat> it's to the point where dude might have to go vegan and some shit. Dude, way too motherfucking weird. But he is so motherfucking cold, though. Dude averaged a point a minute for this team, man. A point a minute. And his talent is the alpha talent on that team. Not Brandon Ingram, Zion. But Zion, I was disappointed in his effort this year on the defensive side all season long. I seen effort at Duke. That's what really made me think, okay, he ain't going to be just another another gunner. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't see some talented kids as gunners. But guess what? Gunners get lost to a certain degree in the NBA. Because 
everybody, I mean, not everybody, but the majority of the motherfuckers you're playing with are gunners or ex-gunners. So what else you going to bring to the table that's going to do, that's going to separate you? Well, I seen Zion brought defense and rebounding as something else that he can use to separate, you know what I'm saying, how you looked at him. Man, his rebound numbers were horrible, man. And the bubble, he had a couple games. He had one game where he only had, had no fucking rebounds. And another game, I think he only had four or some shit like that. There's no doubt, man, that when Zion touches the court, he like the Montrez Herald. You know what I'm saying? He's supposed to be the Montrez Herald for the motherfucking Pelicans. That means he his effort on the glass got has to be there. Effort on the glass was horrible this year. And I, I kind of fought Alvin on that, too. I mean, you cannot have a kid that you're scared to... I mean, you can't have a player, period, that you're scared to say something to and you're the coach. It's just, I mean, it's over with. If you if you can't say something to this... And he's a rookie. You can't say something to this young motherfucker right here that, hey, man, you need to start rebounding or, or I'm going to take your time away. Or, hey, man, you better come in and give me motherfucking more time, more minutes on the cl- uh, uh, on the court, man. And that means what you're doing off the court has got to start counting. If you can't put him in those type of situations as a rookie to make him, you know, at least fear that the that you have something that he wants, which is playing time, can be taken away from him. If you don't even have that as a, a bargaining chip to deal with this guy, you don't have nothing. The Pelicans were super disappointed, man. I super disappointed at them, man. And they don't already fired uh, Alvin Gentry, so we're going to see who the new guy that they bring in. But the new guy better be able to say something to Zion, man, because if he can't say something, and that's not saying that Zion no bad kid, because you can just list, look at a dude carries himself and when he talk. Dude ain't no guy that I think he even give you a lot of back talk or nothing if you were to challenge him. But I think it's time somebody challenge him to get better, because right now he's good. If he get challenged in the right way, he could become great. And I think he has the potential to be great. Uh, another disappointing team in there was the uh, the Kings. Sacramento. They don't already got rid of Vladi Divac. I think they just they they uh overpaid for motherfucking uh uh Luke Walton. So I don't I think it's bad if they probably want to get rid of Luke. I, you you tied into what a three four year deal with him, uh, and this year one. So I don't think I think you got to come back with him one more year to give it one more try just to kind of justify the money that you on already that you're paying him. Because <clears throat> do you really want to pay him for three years not to coach and then have to go out and get a coach? So I think the Kings kind of in that situation, man. But I, I'm feeling sorry for De'Aaron Fox, man. I'm feeling sorry for De'Aaron Fox, man, because one of the reasons why I'm feeling sorry for him is because Marvin Bagley, man, you see some talent in this Marvin Bagley kid. He can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. He cannot stay on the fucking court to save his life, man. And that's killing De'Aaron, man. And now everybody looking at Buddy Hill, and guess what? Pelicans. But this is what Buddy, I mean, uh, uh, Kings, this is what Buddy Hill was when he got drafted. He's a chucker. And one thing about chuckers, when the motherfuckers is knocking them down, you know, they're the kid of the day. They presidente. They all of that old shit. But when they missing them damn shots, man, they don't look like shit, man, because now 
What else can you do? You know what I mean? And Buddy, even when he was at Oklahoma, he really wasn't no assist man. He wasn't no defender. He wasn't no, you know, for the size that he got with his body, you would think that he would be a better or halfway decent rebounder, especially when I'm looking at Patrick Beverly, <coughs> a guy that he's bigger than, and, and just with his effort and activity, he trips over rebounds. Buddy Hill can't find a rebound. You know, so I'm looking at that, looking at some of the other picks that they have made, man. And De'Aaron over there fucked up, man. Outside of Brian uh boy that they got, they talent over there ain't as strong as what motherfuckers thought, man. And I'm kind of disappointed in my man Harrison Barnes because I thought Harrison would give them, you know, uh, a championship medal, a championship mentality. You know, seeing that he had played with the Warriors. Not only that, but he also came up with the Warriors when they were sore. When Mark Jackson was formulating that team, Harrison was one of the guys he was formulating that team with. So I thought all of that would be able to, you know, translate to helping out this younger uh, younger, uh, team here at the Kings. And it just don't look like shit, man. They don't look like shit, man. They don't look like shit. And then another team, man, probably the last team that bothered me probably the most was the Grizzlies, man. Because I like Ja. Now take that back. I don't like Ja. I fucking love Ja. Fucking love Ja. I wish my Knicks could give give every one of them damn little punk ass picks we just got the last year and the last couple of years. I wish we can give them all to Memphis for Ja right now. Just for him. He's what you're looking for, man, when you are. Guys that really love the NBA and love to watch the game and love to see guys compete, <clears throat> you, you you love to watch Ja play. You love to watch Brandon Clark play, the young boy from Gonzaga. You love uh, uh, you love to watch the boy from uh, Dylan Brooks. You love to watch them play, man. You love to watch uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. play. They They in position. They're in the position that... The Kings wish that they were in. The Pelicans wish that they were in. They got the, they got a good, beautiful nucleus up there, you know what I'm saying, running with Ja. Slow Mo out there looking like he's still holding it down. You know? They don't need much of anything. Maybe a couple of good, more quality suitors. Grayson Allen even showed up. And Grayson Allen going to be a ball player in this league, y'all. Don't sleep. Grayson Allen going to be a ball player. This Grizzly team is ready to roll. Man, why did they look so fucking young in the bubble all eight games, man? They looked so fucking young in all these games. Even the games that they, the one game that they won, the, the, you know, to stave off uh, the Suns so they can play in that 8-9 play-in game. And they played their ass off in the 8-9 playoff game. But... Towards the end of the game, you could see the U kick in and where Dame, CJ, and Melo was able to hit the gas on them. They just so fucking young, man. And they surprised everybody by what they was able to do this year. Now, what makes me disappointed in them is there's no, man, if y'all, if y'all win three out of five, y'all would have remained the number eight seed and then the uh, 
the Blazers would have had to beat them twice. Well, I think they go one and seven out the whole fucking bubble, and they end up losing their, they had a, what, a three or four game lead. They lose their lead, and now they have to, goddamn, now the roles are reversed, where they got to beat the Blazers twice to get in. And you know that shit wasn't happening. They ain't wasn't about to let that shit happen. So, I'm disappointed in the Grizzlies. I like their coaching, though. Out of all these other group teams that I've been talking about, you've been noticed I've been real quick to maybe throw a little lightweight jab at their coach. I can't throw that same jab at the Grizzlies coach. Dude on did a hell of a fucking job, and this is a, a damn good-ass team. So, uh... I'm looking forward for them to be a much, much better team going into the 2021 season next year. I mean, here in a couple months. The teams that that most impressed me uh, were five teams. Uh, I was super highly impressed with the Phoenix Suns. Book, man, oh, my Lord. If, 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 if the New York Knicks don't do, I mean, Leon Rose, if Book is your man, please find a way to get him to New York City. Please, I'm begging you. Man, Booker so much the goddamn truth, man. I watched him destroy Paul George and goddamn Kawhi Leonard, man, and anybody else in this bubble, man. Devin Booker was by far the destructor. But, man, you end up getting uh, Cameron Payne. Motherfuckers thought the only thing Cam Payne was, uh, Cameron Payne was good for was over there dancing with Russell Westbrook and shit in the huddles and shit, doing all the old... You know, new dances and all that bullshit. <clears throat> now, Cam's a ball player. And he showed up like as a hell of a, a quality ball player to back up Rubio. Uh, you got to remember, man, this team go 8-0. And they had two important parts, uh, the Bang Kid and, and Kelly Oubre. And Oubre, they second best talented player. They They, they wasn't there. So, I mean, what I'm seeing in booking these sons, and I love Monty Williams. Anybody know I was screaming for Monty Williams to become the coach before we even picked up Hornet check for the Knicks and <clears throat> these other couple uh, cats that we all went through. I've been screaming Monty Williams. Right after Mark Jackson, to me, it's always been Monty Williams. And now you're getting a chance to see what a good coach can do with a good young team. So I'm very impressed with what Monty was able to do with the sons. Uh, the Nets, I'm super high, high key loving what these Nets um, did. Now, don't get me wrong. I truly believe next year your boy Kyrie and his, his, the way that they're going to be able to ask to play the game next year, Kyrie and uh, KD when they step in. <clears throat> I don't think the way that the uh, New Jersey's playing now will be the way that they are able to play next year or whatever. But they showing you right now that they got nuts. They got nuts. This Nets team, man, I, they went 5-3 and three in this bubble, man. And before the bubble even started, man, you thought outside of maybe the Washington Wizards, man, that the Nets was probably the worst team. And they were already locked in into a playoff spot. Karis LeVert don't get down like that. Go blue. You know, Michigan, man, wasn't having it. Wasn't having it. And I'm telling anybody that's willing to listen right now, if the Nets don't find a way to keep Karis LeVert, they only going to get so far because I'm telling you right now, outside of KD, the second best player on the team with Kyrie on that team, 
The second best player on that team would be Karis LeVert next year playing alongside KD. And that's where the issue going to come in at because Kyrie signed up to be, goddammit, 1A one, one or 1B. Well, he, he signed up to be 1B knowing that dude was going to be 1A. And he controls the ball. He controls the ball. And I just don't see there's no way he's going to give Karras an equal opportunity to show that he's a better ball player than him. And I think if you look at it between the defense, the fact that Karras, I mean, kid had 11 assists the other day in the game. And that's a game that they call themselves trying to take him out. I mean, he averaging them at 30. He giving up about eight assists and he averaging about six or seven rebounds. And he's defending on the other end. To me, that's better than what you're going to get from Kyrie. Because what you going, what the main thing you're going to get from Kyrie? At max, you might get 32 a game from him. That's how cold he is. That's how cold Kyrie is. He give you he give 32 a game. You ain't going to get no more than maybe four assists. And that's four assists playing with Kevin Durant. I mean, he going to pass the ball to KD and get four, those four assists right there. How's he going to help Jared Allen? How's he going to help, you know, Karis DeVert? How he going to help Spencer Dinwiddie and all those other guys that's going to be on that team? You know, Torian and Prince. How's he going to help that team? The Nets team going to have all the talent in the world, man. But they, the, the, the mismatch parts that they going to have is going to be right there at the head. Because that's a good grinding-ass team. That's the type of team a, a, a coach would love to have. One through eight of guys that nobody's super special, but everybody's fully committed. Everybody, Joe Harris, everybody's fully committed on this team. And I guarantee that shit won't look like none of that next year when Kyrie becomes a full-time member of that team and he's controlling and handling the ball. He's just not that type of guy. He's not that type of guy. He going to make Kyrie look good, and he'll do some things that maybe help Kevin look good. And I'm not saying that he going to just avoid the other teammates, but he's not going to look for them consistently enough to make them, to allow them to shine. And I just believe that that's going to be your issue because he's your point guard. Uh, another team that really sold out in this motherfucking uh, in this, uh, bubble was the uh, Blazers. I got to give it to Dame Dollar. Anybody's been listening to if you listen to my very first pod, I know it's kind of it's kind of hard to listen to. It was it was the test run, but uh, you listen to me, you can hear that I was right on that day saying that it's time for Dame to show show me a dollar because he I, I see the talent, I see the talent, but bro, they literally brought you in to replace Brandon Roy. And Brandon Roy had that self, that that Blazers team on a on a good roll before he ended up having to get retired, and I didn't believe that that was one of the issues that Marcus Aldridge had initially with the Blazers when they were trying to just get a team to Dame. Then is because he's like he not Brandon Roy, and I was the second best player on his team, and now you saying that. Now I got to stay almost maybe third best player than what you bringing in CJ now. So you don't want to got a guy from Liberty. You don't want to got a guy from motherfucking uh, uh, Weber State as your backcourt. Now what am I supposed to do? So he wanted out because he had already seen that 
they changed that they, they had changed their outlook in play and with the Blazers. And a lot of that change in the outlook was losing Brandon Roy. Anybody that think I'm tripping, go look at what Brandon Roy was to the motherfucking uh, the uh, Portland Blazers before he ended up having to retire. And I believe the next year or the year after that, maybe two years later, they end up with Dang. Check me out if you think I'm tripping. But uh, even with all of that, this Blazers team, man, having Melo, man, on this team is so much different, man. This team is so fucking far. They got all the power, firepower in the world. And having a, a real-life Hall of Famer like Mel over there in that corner to be able to throw that ball down to, and he can work his mid-range game any way he wants to, to already knocking down spot-up threes. I'm going to tell you something, man. You know, I, my, I've really been real, real down on Dame Dollar. I'm real, real down on Dame because I see all the talent, but I'm also seeing all the times that he getting swept in the playoffs. You know, the the only t only motherfucking time Anthony Davis came out the playoffs with the Pelicans is when he he sweep up on Dame and CJ. They get swept up last year without KD. I mean, uh, yeah, without KD even in the motherfucking series. That was y'all time. I ain't say you had to win it, but you don't get swept. They got swept up. So and then and then they just hit down with some more money. I mean, I, and this is nothing you know be you know pocket checking a motherfucker or whatever. But dude gonna be damn near five hundred a hundred thousand deep. I mean, five hundred million deep with this team when it's all done and said. Yeah, you heard me. I said dude gonna have over four hundred thousand, over four hundred million dollars, fucking with the Blazers, man. Over $400 million, man. They just got them and gave me some new money, man. And only thing I'm saying is that, man, with you putting all that money into Dame and not able really to bring back maybe some other parts and maybe some other pieces that could make the team a little bit more whole, if you're going to do all of that, they ain't got to be worth that. Got to be worth that. And, and worth that to me means that we don't get swept by nobody. I ain't saying we beat everybody, but we don't get swept by nobody. And I've seen, I seen Dollar get swept too many times. So that's what I'm questioning about the Dollar. I'm questioning that severely about his game and, and his makeup. Hell, I would love Dane to come to New York City. I believe if Dane Dollar was in New York City, they would be talking about him right now as the best guard in the NBA. But since he's playing in Portland, a lot of motherfuckers believe Kyrie better than him. And I don't buy none of those tickets. I, I think he ten times colder than Kyrie. But Kyrie don't got a chance to show that shit when the money on the line. You can count on me. When the money on the line, put me with another good ball player and the money on the line. You can count on me. Well, I'm counting CJ and Dane as probably the second best backcourt to Steph and Clay. I've seen Steph and Clay get their team to a certain level. I'm wondering when Dane and CJ going to get their team to that certain level. And that certain level means that you don't get sweat. Maybe I'm tripping. But I just don't believe you're supposed to end up getting sweat by no motherfucking body. So I'm going to be interested to see how that turned out, man.
Another dominant team that I've been super impressed with is the Raptors. <clears throat> Dude, let me tell you something. The Raptors don't need Kawhi. They came out with a better season and with a better team uh, this year, team-wise, record-wise. And they never, none of this season looked like, man, we just, you know, we just here. Or we're a good team, but we lost our best player. You ain't sensed that at all with this team. Not one time. They literally came back from day one looking like we're the defending champs and you're going to have to beat us to win this championship. And I believe that in a seven-game series that they could beat the Bucs. I believe that. I do. I do. I truly believe that. I believe that if the Raptors ended up in a fucking seven-game series with the Bucs, that they'll fucking take them again this year without Kawhi. Without Kawhi, Pascal Siaka, man, if you sleeping on this kid, you can got might as well hit your motherfucking wake button up and wake up, man. This kid is a raw piece, man. This motherfucker raw piece. And I didn't see it coming out of uh, uh, when he was in school, man. I think he came from uh, SMU. I might be wrong, about that, but, but I believe Siaka was an SMU boy. Uh, so, I mean, but regardless of that, I do recall seeing him in college, man, in a couple of games or whatever and shit, and I didn't see this. I ain't going to lie to you. I looked at him like, okay, and we ain't got them another long African boy. Let's see how this turned out. No disrespect. I mean, I ain't trying to be disrespectful any kind of way. I'm just telling you how the fuck I seen this shit when I seen it. What I, what I was thinking. Do way more than that. Dude, so much more than that. He's so, 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 so much more than that. Siakam, a, 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 a real motherfucker, man. And outside, right now, outside of motherfucking uh, Giannis, you tell me, I mean, you tell me, do, how, do you really take Jason Tatum over Siakam? Do you really take Jimmy Butler over Siakam? Because those are the, some of the, the, the few motherfuckers that's in the East that could even, you know, even have anything to say about who would be the, the tier, the top tier guys that's in, that, in, in the East. A lot of people want to start it with Giannis and Joel B and guys like that. All cool, fine and dandy. But don't be surprised if I say, man, you can have all those guys to give me Pascal Siakam. This motherfucker defends. He is a relentless driver to the rack, and he got some Rasheed Wallace in him. That young motherfucker knocked down a three and play some defense. I like this boy Siakam. I, I, I'm seeing some young Rasheed in him, some, uh, some, some Derek Coleman type shit in him. I like this guy. You know what I'm saying? So I'm digging him a lot. And then the last team that I was really impressed with, man, was the, uh, the Rockets, man. And before anybody... You know, I mean, everybody got their own opinions about the Rockets. My opinion about the Rockets is this. You are not going to win with no coach that don't give a fuck about defense. And you're not going to win just taking motherfucking threes. I just don't see it. I know I've been watching NBA basketball way too long. I've never seen that, that, that team, that style team, that type of team be crowned the champion. Never. But I will say this. It's going to be fun to watch, man, because this motherfucking Russell boy is a beast. Russell Rushbrook is so motherfucking... <clears throat> I mean, guys are so motherfucking scared of Russell, man, and his blow-by, man, that they give him so much space, man. 
but you're giving a guy a space that's a knockdown mid-range game, a mid-range jump shooter, man. And when Russell really rolling, Russell got that mid-range and that blow-by going where he don't really need the three. And then you got James Harden, and I, I hate watching dude's game. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate watching this game. But this motherfucker, I will say this. For as down as I've always been on him, as far as his commitment on the other side of the, of the uh, court, as far as on the defense, dude dude, dude D'ing up, man. Dude D'ing up. I watched him D up your boy Giannis pretty strong in the uh, Milwaukee game that they played. And a couple other games, man, where he ain't doing what I what I think that Damian Lillard should do because Dame don't play no defense. As much as I love got love for Dame, that's one of my issues with him. Don't play no defense. He plays a roamer. <laughs> well, he's just roaming around. He ain't locked into no man. He ain't locked in to try to stop no drabs or nothing. He ain't going to take no charge or none of that shit. He just roaming around. I don't like that. I ain't, I ain't no fan of that. But, man, dude... I'm telling you something, man. This Rockets team, man, and what James Harden went on the fact that he's trying to play some defense because you cannot play with this midget lineup that they playing without having some motherfucking dog in you when it comes down to the defense end. You got to dig teams out. You got to steal the ball from big men that think that they got layups on you because it's you down there. You got to have some nuts to be down there and playing the style that they playing. And dude starting to show me that he, he got some nuts to play on the other side of the court, man. Because we always knew what he would be willing to do on the offensive side. We never was really sure what he would do on the defensive side. <laughs> so, I'm really throwing it up to James Harden right now. Good to see what he's out there doing in the bubble. And uh, last thing we want to go by, uh, want to shoot some names out. Want to shoot some names out real quick uh, of some guys. Uh, that played well out there in the uh, bubble so far. Uh, Karis LeVert, Gary Trent Jr., LeBron James, Christoph Rezingas playing well. Fred Van Vliet definitely been balling. Dame been balling, averaging 37. Book averaging 35 and 6. Harden averaging 35, 9 and 9. TJ Warren averaged 31, 6 and 2. Uh, Kawhi, 29-5-4. Giannis uh, averaged 28-12-4. Luka averaged 30-10-10. Michael Porter Jr. averaged 22-9-2. And Jason Tatum averaged 22-6-4. <clears throat> so we had so those are the guys that really stood out. So thank you for listening. Have a blessed day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Am I Tripping? The bubble version. I'm so happy to say that. Uh, for anybody that's been listening to me for the last couple months, you know I've been real quick to say I didn't think there was no sports that was coming back. They had me paranoid and scared. I ain't gonna lie. But, man, it, looks, it feels so good for these young brothers to come back uh, and play ball and be so committed to their craft, man. What I don't think a lot of people is peeping, man, is these young cats are millionaires. These these young cats with, million, with a millionaire's ticket, man. They got a real-life meal ticket running around, man. And uh, for them, to you know, to put all that shit to the side, to be uh, professional, 
and come out and finish the season uh, the way they've been playing. I mean, I'm quite sure some people probably don't really want to be there or whatever and shit, but you can't tell by the effort that everybody's been giving, man. I mean, I've seen some real, I've seen some good shit in the bubble so far, man. And I we're going to talk about some of the things I've seen in the bubble, man. But just in general, man, I am so glad that I, uh, Adam uh, Silver and uh, Michelle Roberts, Chris Paul, and, and everybody got together, man, and got this shit back on the road for us, man. We needed it. We needed it so bad. Now we got it. Now, I've been hearing some crazy talk where they was talking about, well, the ratings ain't the same, the ratings ain't the same. Well, guess what? The ratings wasn't going to be the same. And anybody that's tripping off of that, y'all, you just low-key sitting, trying to sit on basketball, period. Anybody knows that if you're playing basketball, you know what I'm saying, at the the end of May going into June, you got a better chance for people to sit at home and watch your product over the last four months of summer. The last four months of summer is August. They started this shit two weeks ago. I mean, I mean, three weeks ago or whatever. So, I mean, it was going to be like this. You know, it was going to be just like this, man. And I just don't understand why you don't understand that it is not hard to believe that guys don't want to sit in the house or ladies don't want to sit in the house and watch an NBA game in August, the last month of summer, you know, what you think? I mean, a lot of the NBA's popularity to me has always been formulated with the fact that people don't do as much in the months that the NBA starts. So you don't, I mean, you get the NBA's usually catching football right when it's, you know, midway, you know, uh, through this season. And then after the football season uh, usually concludes, especially college football season concludes, you see an uptick in, you know, what's going on in the NBA. And then from December, January, February, March, those are the four months. Those are your four key months in the NBA right there. Then you got April, you know, your baseball fans starting to get ready for the baseball season. You know what I'm saying? May. All the talk about the football, you know what I'm saying, and the drafts and all that shit kicking gear and everything. And then by June, basketball's finishing now, and it's leading you back into college football and to a lot of talks of the pro football game, plus baseball in full stride by now. So that's been our always, that's been our regular order for our sports. So to think that the basketball uh, ratings are are down because people not you know really messing with basketball or <laughs> not feeling basketball, I think they I think you tripping with that. I just think that the fact that it's in the heart of the summer, and it ain't never really been done like that. You ain't never really had guys really have to condition themselves in August to sit down and watch a game at night. So. Like I said, the name of the podcast is Am I Tripping? So maybe you might think I'm tripping on that. But I just don't think that the viewership is down because of anything, anything more than the fact that it's the summer. And the average Joe that's been keeping up with the NBA season or whatever, 
is just not used to watching basketball in August. I mean, the diehards do. I mean, we do. But I mean, it ain't saying that it's not I. It's still not saying that it ain't don't feel different. So that's my little rant on that little shit. Now, uh, since the bubble been going down, I've seen I've seen five teams, man, that really, really, really bothered me, man. And I'm going to tell you why these five teams bothered me. Because their performance in the bubble, man, was almost lifeless. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you probably what everybody wasn't going to do like Phoenix did, just run straight through with eight and no. So, I mean, I understand that, but just your effort, the effort that we see being displayed by your your top-tier talented guys all the way down to your bench guys. A lot of times, the hungriest people you've seen, and some of the, especially on some of these teams we about to talk about, some of the hungriest guys were the guys from the G League, man. Guys, those were the guys that you seen, like, man, really was out there like, shit, I'm starving. I'm trying to, goddamn, you know, make, make this the way that I, I'm able to eat. And then you had a lot of guys that just was like, shit, man, I'm already eating. Fuck it. I'm just here. Like my man Marshawn say, I'm just here to collect it. I'm just here so I don't get fine, boss. So it was one of those old type of moments and shit. Well, anyway, the first team was Philly. Now, I, I think Philly pretty much fucked this up when they brought back Brett Brown this year. I think they pretty much fucked it up there. But then you get rid of T.J. McConnell, you get rid of J.J. Reddick, and you get rid of Jimmy. If you was going to do all of that, to me, if I'm thinking back as a coach, if I'm in that position that Brett Brown is, I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting rid of a playmaker, my shooter, and my motherfucking heart and soul of my team. What, what, will, what will our identity be? Where will our identity be if we losing our best shooters, our backup playmaker, and our motherfucking, you know what I'm saying, alpha dog in Jimmy Butler? So I just felt like if you were able to, were going to make all those moves, I just didn't think that you could bring Brett Brown back. I think once you, when you had committed to making those moves, to me it's, it was time for a different vision for that team. Well, they came back pretty much with the same vision, just believing that, you know, we got guys that have been historically known for being good defenders. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Josh Richardson from the heat. <clears throat> we're going to blend him in with Al Horford and a couple other uh, parts, and we're just going to become a better defensive team. If they stick to that, if that's their identity, I believe Philly's one of the best teams in the East, if not the beast in the East. But they never stuck to that identity. I've never really seen that identity fully, you know, bloom into this is what we are. And right now, man, when you're looking at this Philly team, it's sad, man, for as much talent as they got, even without being, because right now they're playing in the bubble without being, but even without being, man, it still, it still should be a lot more. It it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this at all, man. Where you pretty much looking at this, 
at, at the Sixers as y'all just been a big waste all year. Why had the Sixers been a big waste all year? And for as much, you know, uh, every for as much uh, hate that uh, Brett Brown going to catch and a lot of, you know what I'm saying, you know, get him the fuck up out of town, talk that he going to catch. I got to look at my fucking Elton Brand. Got to look at Elton Brand. And I'm going to tell you the more of the main reasons why I got to look at Elton Brand. This is because... You got rid of Javel, uh, uh, Okafor. You got rid of Michael Carter Williams. You got rid of the boy Markel Folks. Any of those three guys right now could have kept you from having to overspend for Al. Overspend. Uh, one of those two guys could have, you know, helped you. Offset the fact that Ben Simmons is not a good shooter. If anybody been paying attention, the boy Markel folks been having he 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 showed everybody that he he was able to you know shake the yips last year. This year the kid been solid all year, and he got that real big body and sit and he's a natural league guard, and he's not afraid to shoot. Now don't get me wrong. Him and Ben probably still would have been the worst shooting backcourt, but they would have been able to supplement that by their best defensive backcourt. Because to me, by far, Ben, one of the top five guys in all the NBA in playing defense, Ben Simmons is, no doubt about that. You can play him one through five legitimately. Legitly play him one through five. And when he's playing on the motherfucking point guards, you don't see guards running the ball right down the, down Philly's throat, you know, with the ball at the front coming from the top. They they ain't getting dominated by point guards. Right now they're getting dominated by point guards. Point guards are facing them. And I believe truly that's a you know a thing of missing Ben. And another thing, the Markel Folks kid, he competes. I've seen this kid, man. This kid literally competes, man. He competing his ass off right now against the Milwaukee Bucks. And if you look at that Miami, uh, I mean, Orlando Magic's team, ooh, it ain't nothing special about that team, period. But I will say that for everybody that, you know, threw their Markel Fox tickets away too soon, I think you might want to go find that motherfucker because dude look like he going to be all right. <laughs> and if you asking me right now, I'm taking him over Alonzo Ball right now. Right now, Alonzo looked it so bad in the bubble. That's another team that we're going to talk about. My second team that was super foul in the bubble was the Pelicans. Man, they looked it foul in the bubble. And they got J.J. Redick, and he was balling. Dude was balling in the bubble. He gave he. He did for them what they brought him down there to do. Knock down shots. Dude was knocking down shots, able to stretch the defense, allowing those youngsters a lot more space to be creative and get their shots off, especially Brandon Ingram. That team has no commitment to nothing, though, besides just running and gunning. That's the only thing you see that they truly committed to do. The thing that they're going to do every single time, everybody seems like they come on the court. They're looking to run and gun. That team is, I mean, I like Alvin Gentry. 
Alvin Gentry been over there fucking with Dan Tony too much, too long, though. He was fucking with Dan Tony when Dan Tony had that first good Phoenix team. <laughs> Alvin Gentry was on the bench. And, you know, for a lot, I mean, Alvin Gentry's a good coach, man. I really don't want to, you know, sound like I'm about to start shitting on Alvin, uh, on uh, AG, but he just, he couldn't get the voice, man. He couldn't get these youngsters to, to respond, man. Now, don't get me wrong. He don't make he don't make passes. He don't take shots, and he damn sure don't defend. So those are the things that the players still have got to be responsible for, and I understand that. But Alvin, the fact that these guys and these are young guys, man, you couldn't you couldn't scare these youngsters into giving a better a better effort than what they showed in the bubble. You got to remember. Well, I think the only reason why they even went to this 22-team bubble shit like any and everybody else is to get Zion in. Well, they got Zion and the Pelicans in, and they didn't look like shit. They really didn't, man. They looked at like a young team that was too young to be on the court with the grown men. That's what they looked at like. And that, and to me, that's an indictment on, on Alvin Gentry to a certain degree. I got to put that on him to a certain degree because we got to find out what our identity is and what is the identity of the Pelicans besides running and gunning. I mean, their best player right now, you know, as far as the numbers, is Brandon Ingram. And then they all made an all-star team this year. You can't tell him sitting now. And... For as much as he want to have control of the ball, he don't make other team. He don't make nobody else really better with him having the ball. The ball should truly, <laughs> truly just stay in Drew Holiday's hand. And I truly believe that Drew Holiday should be the alpha male on that team. But he quiet. I don't know if a quiet guy can really be your your best leader. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they can't. But it's been a it's few in between. Uh, when we're talking about youngsters, young young kids, whatever, a quiet guy to a certain degree can be, you know, your pelican. You know what I mean? I mean, can be your pendleton to where, you know, everything lies, it, it rises and it falls by, you know, the his approach to the game. And his approach to the game brings everybody else's approach to the game to the same level that he has. Now, I know I fucked up on the word pendulum. Don't y'all fuck with me about that. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying to a certain degree. All right. So when I'm looking at this young team, this Pelicans team, when I'm looking at Brandon Ingram, who to me hasn't showed that he's been a, a leader nowhere that he's been. He wasn't even the leader in college on his Duke team. You know what I'm saying? And now he went to the Lakers. He, he wasn't no leader there. And now all of a sudden he thrust it into supposed to be the leadership role for the Pelicans. He's not ready for that role. That job is over his head right now. And I believe that because he showed the most talent, a lot of guys, you know what I'm saying, deferred to him as, okay, he's the most talented guy, so he should, should be the leader. He should be this. Now he shouldn't. Dude should continue to keep on fucking learning how to be a leader, how to learn how to win something. Because right now he look like he ain't going to be nothing but a a, a, a motherfucking running gun all-star for whatever the fuck that's worth. And then when I look at Big Zion, 
I like Big Z. I like Big Z a lot. And I do think that he has a chance to be a different style of a future player that we're going to be looking at. Zion too motherfucking heavy, though, man. Dude, way too motherfucking heavy, man. He way too motherfucking heavy. And he's so young that his metabolism built at, a, at such a high, a high level, man, that... I'm pretty much believing whatever he, if he eat a piece of bread, it's going to end up in, uh, on one of them sads or on his curves or something. <clears throat> it's to the point where dude might have to go vegan and some shit. Dude, way too motherfucking weird. But he is so motherfucking cold, though. Dude averaged a point a minute for this team, man. A point a minute. And his talent is the alpha talent on that team. Not Brandon Ingram, Zion. But Zion, I was disappointed in his effort this year on the defensive side all season long. I seen effort at Duke. That's what really made me think, okay, he ain't going to be just another another gunner. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't see some talented kids that's gunners. But guess what? Gunners get lost to a certain degree in the NBA. Because... Everybody, I mean, not everybody, but the majority of motherfuckers you're playing with are gunners or ex-gunners. So what else you going to bring to the table that's going to do, that's going to separate you? Well, I seen Zion brought defense and rebounding as something else that he can use to separate. You know what I'm saying? How you looked at him. Man, his rebound numbers were horrible, man. And the bubble, he had a couple games. He had one game where he only had, had no fucking rebounds. And another game, I think he only had four or some shit like that. There's no doubt, man, that when Zion touches the court, he like the Montrez Herald. You know what I'm saying? He's supposed to be the Montrez Herald for the motherfucking Pelicans. That means he his effort on the glass got has to be there. Effort on the glass was horrible this year. And I, I kind of fought Alvin on that, too. I mean, you cannot have a kid that you scared to... I mean, you can't have a player, period, that you're scared to say something to and you're the coach. It's just, I mean, it's over with. If you if you can't say something to this... And he's a rookie. You can't say something to this young motherfucker right here that, hey, man, you need to start rebounding or, or I'm going to take your time away. Or, hey, man, you better come in and give me motherfucking more time, more minutes on the, cl- uh, uh, on the court, man. And that means what you're doing off the court has got to start counting. If you can't put him in those type of situations as a rookie that make him, you know, at least fear that the that you have something that he wants, which is playing time, can be taken away from him. If you don't even have that as a, a bargaining chip to deal with this guy, you don't have nothing. The Pelicans were super disappointed, man. I super disappointed at them, man. And they don't already fired uh, Alvin Gentry, so we're going to see who the new guy that they bring in. But the new guy better be able to say something to Zion, man, because if he can't say something, and that's not saying that Zion no bad kid, because you can just listen, look how a dude carries himself and when he talk. Dude ain't no guy that I think he even give you a lot of back talk or nothing if you were to challenge him. But I think it's time somebody challenged him to get better, because right now he's good. If he get challenged in the right way, he can become great. And I think he has the potential to be great. Uh, another disappointing team in there was the uh, the Kings. Sacramento. They don't already got rid of Vladi Divac. 
I think they just they they uh, overpaid for motherfucking uh uh Luke Walton. So I don't I think it's bad that they probably want to get rid of Luke. I you you tied into what a three four year deal with him, and this year one. So I don't think I think you got to come back with him one more year to give it one more try just to kind of justify the money that you on already that you're paying him. Because <clears throat> do you really want to pay him for three years not to coach? And then have to go out and get a coach. So I think the Kings kind of in that situation, man. But I'm feeling sorry for De'Aaron Fox, man. I'm feeling sorry for De'Aaron Fox, man, because one of the reasons why I'm feeling sorry for him is because Marvin Bagley, man. You see some talent in this Marvin Bagley kid. He can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. He cannot stay on the fucking court to save his life, man. And that's killing De'Aaron, man. And. Now everybody looking at Buddy Hill, and guess what? Pelicans, but this is what Bud, I mean, uh, uh, Kings, this is what Buddy Hill was when he got drafted. He's a chucker. And one thing about chuckers, when the motherfuckers is knocking them down, you know, they're the kid of the day. They presidente, they all of that old shit. But when they missing them damn shots, man, they don't look like shit, man, because now what else can you do? I mean, and Buddy, even when he was at Oklahoma, he really wasn't no assist man. He wasn't no defender. He wasn't no, you know, for the size that he got with his body, you would think that it would be a better or halfway decent rebound, especially when I'm looking at Patrick Beverly, <coughs> a guy that he's bigger than, and, and just with his effort and activity, he trips over rebounds. Buddy Hill can't find a rebound. You know, so I'm looking at that, looking at some of the other picks that they have made, man. And De'Aaron over there fucked up, man. Outside of Brian Yanovich, uh, boy, that they got there, talent over there ain't as strong as what motherfuckers thought, man. And I'm kind of disappointed in my man Harrison Barnes because I thought Harrison would give them, you know, uh, uh, a championship medal, a championship mentality. You know, seeing that he had played with the Warriors, not and not only that, but he also came up with the Warriors when they were sore. When Mark Jackson was formulating that team, Harrison was one of the guys he was formulating that team with. So I thought all of that would be able to, you know, translate to helping out this younger, uh, younger uh, team here at the Kings, and it just don't look like shit, man. They don't look like shit, man. They don't look like shit. And then another team, man, probably the last team that bothered me probably the most was the Grizzlies, man. Because I like Ja. Now, take that back. I don't like Ja. I fucking love Ja. Fucking love Ja. I wish my Knicks could give, give every one of them damn little punk-ass picks we just got the last year and the last couple years. I wish we can give them all to the Memphis for Ja right now. Just for him. He's what you're looking for, man, when you are guys that really love the NBA and love to watch the game and love to see guys compete. <clears throat> you, you you love to watch Ja play. You love to watch Brandon Clark play, the young boy from Gonzaga. You love, uh, uh, you love to watch the boy from uh, Dylan Brooks. You love to watch them play, man. You love to watch uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. play. They... They in position. They're in the position that the Kings wished that they were in. The Pelicans wished that they were in. 
they got the, they got a good, beautiful nucleus up there, you know what I'm saying, running with Ja. Slow Mo out there looking like he's still holding it down. You know? They don't need much of anything. Maybe a couple of good, more quality suitors. Grayson Allen even showed up. And Grayson Allen going to be a ball player in this league, y'all. Don't sleep. Grayson Allen going to be a ball player. This Grizzly team is ready to roll. Man, why did they look so fucking young in the bubble all eight games, man? They looked at so fucking young in all these games. Even the games that they, the one game that they won, the, the, you know, to stave off uh, the Suns so they can play in that eight and nine play-in game. And they played their ass off in the eight and nine playoff game. But towards the end of the game, you can see that you kick in and where Dame, CJ, and Melo was able to hit the gas on them. They just so fucking young, man. And they surprised everybody by what they was able to do this year. Now, what makes me disappointed in them is there's no, man, if y'all, if y'all win three out of five, y'all would have remained the number eight seed and then the, uh, the Blazers would have had to beat them twice. Well, I think they go one and seven out the whole fucking bubble, and they end up losing their they had a what a three or four game lead. They lose their lead, and now they have to goddamn now the roles are reversed where they got to beat the Blazers twice to get in. And you know that shit wasn't happening. They ain't wasn't about to let that shit happen. So I'm disappointed in the Grizzlies. I like their coaching, though. Out of all these other group teams that I've been talking about, you've been noticed I've been real quick to maybe throw a little lightweight jab at their coach. I can't throw that same jab at the Grizzlies coach. Dude don't did a hell of a fucking job, and this is a, a damn good-ass team. So uh, I'm looking forward for them to be a much, much better team going into the 2021 season next year. I mean, here in a couple months. The teams that that most impressed me uh, were five teams. Uh, I was super highly impressed with the Phoenix Suns. The book, man, oh my lord! If 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 the New York Knicks don't do, I mean, Leon Rose, this book is your man. Please find a way to get him to New York City. Please, I'm begging you. Man, Booker so much the goddamn truth, man. I watched him destroy Paul George and goddamn Kawhi Leonard, man. And anybody else in this bubble, man, Devin Booker was by far the destructor. But, man, you end up getting uh, Cameron Payne. Motherfuckers thought the only thing Cam Payne was, uh, Cameron Payne was good for was over there dancing with Russell Westbrook and shit in the huddles and shit, doing all the old, you know, new dances and all that bullshit. <clears throat> now, Cam's a ball player. And he showed up like as a hell of a, a quality ball player to back up Rubio. Uh, you got to remember, man, this team go 8-0. And they had two important parts, uh, the Bang Kid and, and Kelly Oubre. And Oubre, they second best talented player. They, they, they wasn't there. So, I mean, what I'm seeing in booking these sons, and I love Monty Williams. Anybody know I was screaming for Monty Williams to become the coach before we even picked up Hornet Shake for the Knicks and <clears throat> these other couple uh, cats that we all went through. 
I've been screaming Monty Williams. Right after Mark Jackson, to me, it's always been Monty Williams. And now you're getting a chance to see what a good coach can do with a good young team. So I'm very impressed with what Monty was able to do with the Suns. Uh, the Nets. I'm super high-key high loving what these Nets um, did. Now, don't get me wrong. I truly believe next year your boy Kyrie and his, his, the way that they're going to be able to ask to play the game next year, Kyrie and uh, KD when they step in. <clears throat> I don't think the way that the, uh, New Jersey's playing now will be the way that they are able to play next year or whatever. But they showing you right now that they got nuts. They got nuts. This next team, man, I, they went 5-3 and three in this bubble, man. And before the bubble even started, man, you thought outside of maybe the Washington Wizards, man, that the Nets was probably the worst team. And they were already locked in into a playoff spot. Karis LeVert don't get down like that. Go blue. You know, Michigan, man, wasn't having it. Wasn't having it. And I'm telling anybody that's willing to listen right now, if the Nets don't find a way to keep Karis LeVert, they only going to get so far. Because I'm telling you right now, outside of KD, the second best player on the team with Kyrie on that team, the second best player on that team will be Karis LeVert next year playing alongside KD. And that's where the issue going to come in at because Kyrie signed up to be, goddammit, 1A or 1B. Well, he signed up to be 1B knowing that dude was going to be 1A. And he controls the ball. He controls the ball. And I just don't see there's no way he going to give Karras an equal opportunity to show that he's a better ball player than him. And I think if you look at it between the defense, the fact that Karras, I mean, he kid had 11 assists the other day in the game. And that's a game that they call, they sub trying to take him out. I mean, he averaging them at 30. He giving up about eight assists, and he averaging about six or seven rebounds. And he's defending on the other end. To me, that's better than what you're going to get from Kyrie. Because what you going what the main thing you're going to get from Kyrie? At max, you might get 32 a game from him. That's how cold he is. That's how cold Kyrie is. He give you he 32 a game. You ain't going to give him no more than maybe four assists. And that's for assists playing with Kevin Durant. I mean, he going to pass the ball to KD and get four, those four assists right there. How's he going to help Jared Allen? How's he going to help, you know, Karis DeVert? How are you going to help Spencer Dinwiddie and all those other guys that's going to be on that team? You know, Torian and Prince. How's he going to help that team? The next team going to have all the talent in the world, man. But they, the, the, the mismatch parts that they're going to have is going to be right there at the head because that's a good grinding-ass team. That's the type of team a, a, a coach would love to have, one through eight of guys that nobody's super special, but everybody's fully committed. Everybody, Joe Harris, everybody's fully committed on this team. And I guarantee you that shit won't look like none of that next year when Kyrie becomes a full-time member of that team, and he's controlling and handling the ball. He's just not that type of guy. He's not that type of guy. He's going to make Kyrie look good, and he'll do some things that maybe help Kevin look good. And I'm not saying that he's going to just avoid the other teammates, but he's not going to look for them consistently enough to, make them, to allow them to shine. 
And I just believe that that's going to be your issue because he's your point guard. Uh, another team that really sold out in this motherfucking uh, in this uh, bubble was the uh, Blazers. I got to give it to Dame Dollar. Anybody's been listening to? If you listen to my very first pod, I know it's kind of it's kind of hard to listen to. It was it was the test run, but uh, if you listen to me, you can hear that I was right on that day saying that it's time for Dame to show show me a dollar because he I, I see the talent. I see the talent. But, bro, they literally brought you in to replace Brandon Roy. <laughs> and Brandon Roy had that, self, that, that Blazers team on a, on a good roll before he ended up having to get retired. And I believe that that was one of the issues that Marcus Aldridge had initially with the Blazers when they were trying to just get a team to Dame then. It's because he's like, he not Brandon Roy, and I was the second best player on his team. And now you're saying that now I got to stay almost maybe third best player than what you bringing in CJ now. So you don't want to get a guy from Liberty. You don't want to get a guy from motherfucking uh, uh, Weber State as your backcourt. Now what am I supposed to do? So he wanted out because he had already seen that they changed that they, they had changed their outlook in play, in, with the Blazers. And a lot of that changing the outlook was losing Brandon Roy. Anybody that think I'm tripping, go look at what Brandon Moy was to the motherfucking uh, the, uh, Portland Blazers before he ended up having to retire. And I believe the next year or the year after that, maybe two years later, they end up with Dang. Check me out if you think I'm tripping. But uh, even with all of that, this Blazers team, man, having Melo, man, on this team is so much different, man. This team is so fucking far. They got all the power, firepower in the world. And having a, a real life Hall of Famer like Mel over there in that corner to be able to throw that ball down to and he can work his mid-range game any way he wants to to already knocking down spot-up threes. Let me tell you something, man. You know, I, my, I've really been real, real down on Dame Dollar. I'm real, real down on Dame because I see all the talent, but I'm also seeing all the times that he getting swept in the playoffs. You know, the the only t- only motherfucking time Anthony Davis came out the playoffs with the Pelicans is when he he sweep up on Dame and CJ. They get swept up last year without KD. I mean, uh, yeah, without KD even in the motherfucking series. That was our time. I ain't say you had to win it, but you don't get swept. They got swept up. So and then and then they just hit Dame with some more money. I mean, I, and this is nothing you know be you know pocket checking a motherfucker or whatever. But dude, gonna be damn near five hundred hundred thousand deep. I mean, five hundred million deep with this team when it's all done and said. Yeah, you heard me. I said dude, gonna have over four hundred thousand, over four hundred million dollars, fucking with the Blazers, man. Over $400 million, man. They just got them and gave me some new money, man. And only thing I'm saying is that, man, what you putting all that money into Dame and not able really to bring back maybe some other parts and maybe some other pieces that could make the team a little bit more whole, if you're going to do all of that, they ain't got to be worth that. Got to be worth that. And, and worth that to me means that we don't get swept by nobody. I ain't saying we beat everybody, 
But we don't get swept by nobody. And I've seen, I seen Dollar get swept too many times. So that's what I'm questioning about the Dollar. I'm questioning that severely about his game and, and his makeup. Hell, I would love Dane to come to New York City. I believe if Dane Dollar was in New York City, they would be talking about him right now as the best guard in the NBA. But since he's playing in Portland, a lot of motherfuckers believe Kyrie better than him. And I don't buy none of those tickets. I, I think he's 10 times colder than Kyrie. But Kyrie don't got a chance to show that shit when the money on the line. You can count on me. When the money on the line put me with another good ball player and the money on the line, you can count on me. Well, I'm counting CJ and Dane as probably the second best backcourt to Steph and Clay. I've seen Steph and Clay get their team to a certain level. I'm wondering when Dane and CJ going to get their team to that certain level. And that certain level means that you don't get sweat. Maybe I'm tripping. But I just don't believe you're supposed to end up getting swept by no motherfucking body. So I'm going to be interested to see how that turned out, man. Another dominant team that I've been super impressed with is the Raptors. <clears throat> Dude, let me tell you something. The Raptors don't need Kawhi. They came out with a better season and with a better team uh, this year, team-wise, record-wise. And they never, none of this season looked like, man, we just, you know, we just here or... We're a good team, but we lost our best player. You ain't sensed that at all with this team. Not one time. They literally came back from day one looking like we're the defending champs and you're going to have to beat us to win this championship. And I believe that in a seven-game series that they could beat the Bucks. I believe that. I do. I do. I truly believe that. I believe that if the Raptors ended up in a fucking seven-game series with the Bucks, that they'll fucking take them again this year. Without Kawhi. Without Kawhi. Pascal Siaka, man, if you sleeping on this kid, you can got might as well hit your motherfucking wake button up and wake up, man. This kid is a raw piece, man. This motherfucker a raw piece. And I didn't see it coming out of uh, uh, when he was in school, man. I think he came from uh, SMU. I might be wrong about that, but I believe Siakam an SMU boy. Uh, so, I mean, but regardless of that, I do recall seeing him in college, man, in a couple games or whatever and shit, and I didn't see this. I ain't going to lie to you. I looked at him like, okay, and we ain't got them another long African boy. Let's see how this turned out. No disrespect. I mean, I ain't trying to be disrespectful in any kind of way. I'm just telling you how the fuck I seen this shit when I seen it. What I what I was thinking. Dude, way more than that. Dude, so much more than that. He's so, 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 so much more than that. Siakam a, 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 a real motherfucker, man. And outside, right now, outside of motherfucking uh, Giannis, you tell me, I mean, you tell me, do, how, do you really take Jason Tatum over Siakam? Do you really take... Jimmy Butler over Siakam? Because those are the, some of the, the, the few motherfuckers that's in the East that could even, you know, even have anything to say about who would be the, the tier, the top tier guys that's in, that, in, in the East. A lot of people want to start it with Giannis and Joel L and B and guys like that. 
All cool, fine, and dandy. But don't be surprised if I say, man, you can have all those guys to give me Pascal Siakam. This motherfucker defends. He is a relentless driver to the rack. And he got some Rasheed Wallace in him. That young motherfucker knocked down a three. And play some defense. I like this boy Siakam. I, I, I'm seeing some young Rasheed in him. Some, uh, some, some Derek Coleman type shit in him. I like this guy. You know what I'm saying? So I'm digging him a lot. And then the last team that I was really impressed with, man, was the uh, the Rockets, man. And before anybody, you know, I mean, everybody got their own opinions about the Rockets. My opinion about the Rockets is this. You are not going to win with no coach that don't give a fuck about defense. And you're not going to win just taking motherfucking threes. I just don't see it. And now we've been watching NBA basketball way too long. I've never seen that 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 team, that style team, that type of team be crowned the champion. Never. But I will say this. It's going to be fun to watch, man, because this motherfucking Russell boy is a beast. Russell Rushbrook is so motherfucking... <clears throat> I mean, guys are so motherfucking scared of Russell, man, and his blow-by, man, that they give him so much space, man. But you're giving a guy space that's a knockdown mid-range game, a mid-range jump shooter, man. And when Russell really rolling, Russell got that mid-range and that blow-by going where he don't really need the three. And then you got James Harden, and I I hate watching dudes game. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate watching this game. But this motherfucker, I will say this. For as down as I've always been on him, as far as his commitment on the other side of the, of the uh, court, as far as on the defense, dude D'ing up, man. Dude D'ing up. I watched him D up your boy Giannis pretty strong in the uh, Milwaukee game that they played. And a couple other games, man, where he ain't doing what I what I think that Damian Lillard should do because Dame don't play no defense. Much as I love got love for Dame, that's one of my issues with him. Don't play no defense. He plays a roamer. <laughs> well, he's just roaming around. He ain't locked into no man. He ain't locked in to try to stop no drabs or nothing. He ain't gonna take no charge or none of that shit. He just roaming around. I don't like that. I ain't I ain't no fan of that. But man, dude. I'm telling you something, man. This Rockets team, man, and what James Harden went on the fact that he's trying to play some defense because you cannot play with this midget lineup that they playing without having some motherfucking dog in you when it comes down to the defense end. You got to dig teams out. You got to steal the ball from big men that think that they got layups on you because it's you down there. You got to have some nuts to be down there and playing the style that they playing. And dude starting to show me that he, he got some nuts to play on the other side of the court, man. Because we always knew what he was willing to do on the offensive side. We never was really sure what he would do on the defensive side. <laughs> so I'm really throwing it up to James Harden right now. Good to see what he's out there doing in the bubble. And uh, last thing we want to go by, uh, want to shoot some names out. Want to shoot some names out real quick uh, of some guys. Uh, that played well out there in the uh, bubble so far. Uh, Karis LeVert, Gary Trent Jr., LeBron James, Christoph Porzingis playing well. Fred Van Vliet definitely been balling. Dame been balling, averaging 37. Book averaging 35 and 6. Harden averaging 35, 9 and 9. T. 
T.J. Warren, average 31, 6, and 2. Uh, Kawhi, 29, 5, and 4. Giannis, uh, average 28, 12, and 4. Luka, average 30, 10, and 10. Michael Porter Jr. averaged 22, 9, and 2. And Jason Tatum averaged 22, 6, and 4. <clears throat> so we had those, those are the guys that really stood out. So thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.